So last week we were in Ephesians. We talked about uh, chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians. Um, we discovered that Jesus had done some great work in changing us from what we used to be, which was uh, a follower of the ways of the world, and we were dead in our sins. We were without hope and without God. Isn't it interesting that we change that to we? It's a whole lot nicer to say. But let's go back and say, I was a follower of the ways of the world. I was dead in my sin. I was without hope and without God. But Jesus changed me. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus. God lavished his love on me and made me his child. He made me alive with Jesus and raised me up with him. I am his handiwork, created to do good works. I am no longer a stranger, but am a fellow citizen with God's people, a member of God's household. I am forgiven, redeemed, included, marked, seated, raised, chosen, holy, blessed, and I've been made alive. But Jesus is still at work in me, even though he did all that, and that is an incredible thing that he has done. He's also, still today, ongoing, giving me wisdom and revelation. He is making himself known to me. He is enlightening the eyes of my heart so that I can know hope. He's building me up with you so that we become a holy dwelling in which God lives. All that was from Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. It's critical, vital, that you believe those things. Now see, I know we just read them and so everybody's heard it and we know it. We've heard it, it's in our head, but it needs to move about 18 inches south to our heart so that I know in my heart that I am God's handiwork. What do you see when you look in the mirror? A lump of coal, right? Not fit for service. Yuck. Let me fix this up. I can't go out looking like this. Yes, you can, my friends, because you are made, uh, you are God's handiwork. Have you seen the things that God creates? Have you seen the love that he puts in the things that he makes? Do you see what his hands do? How he demonstrates his creativity, his beauty, his strength? Do you see that in creation? And you are his handiwork. That is in you. But let's move on to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. We'll start off just by reading it. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administrations of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations that it has been, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit 
to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before God the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know Saul, the Christian killer. He stood there and held people's coats while Stephen was stoned. Paul had gone from city to city arresting uh, or killing Christians. He really didn't care which. It didn't matter. It all worked out well for him. He was moving up in the ranks. Uh, he was on the road to Damascus to go there and harass Christians. When Jesus showed up. Uh, or as Paul puts it, uh, Surely you have heard about the administrations of God's grace that was given to me. He was struck blind on that road and confronted by the one that he was persecuting. And Saul, the persecutor of Christians, became Paul. And there was a dramatic conversion. But Paul, being humble as he was, said, uh, Although I am less than the least of the Lord's people. And when we think about the sinners that we live with, I personally don't know any sinners who have uh, arrested and persecuted and killed Christians. Do you? But could you imagine? Let's say Sheriff Merchant was the persecutor of Christians in Brown County, and he had a change of heart and showed up in church. And your wife or husband or son or daughter was not here because Sheriff Merchant had them executed for their faith. What do you think of Sheriff Merchant? John, if you ever hear this, no offense to you. I'm just using you as an example. So, uh, that was Paul. The killer of Christians was now 
the, the leader of the church in the Gentiles. A dramatic conversion. And beyond that, Paul at this point had been arrested himself for being a Christian. Um, okay, so what's, all, what's, what's Paul saying in all of this? What is all of this about? Paul knew things. He knew things. Do you know people that know things? It's important to know things, isn't it? When you know how things work, you can fix things. You know how to live in a world where you understand the rules and the way it operates. Paul had had those mysteries revealed to him by the Spirit. Who taught Paul what it means to be a Christian? The Holy Spirit or Jesus, right? That's who taught him. He heard it direct. That's why he was called an apostle. And those things were revealed to Paul. How does he put it? The mystery was made known to me by revelation. The mystery was revealed to Paul. Now in my book, that makes him pretty special. But not in Paul's book. It makes him first. The same mystery is also revealed to the rest of the church. It's interesting to me, when I study and read God's Word and I learn something, I say something like, you know what I learned? I learned that. You know the better way to say that? The Holy Spirit revealed to me. The Holy Spirit reveals truth to us. Anything you know about God, you know it because the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. There's two sources of this information. One is, the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to you. The second source is, our enemy, the deceiver, lies to you about God. There's only two. It's either the Holy Spirit revealing, or it's our, uh, the chief liar who is deceiving us about Christ. What do you know? What has been revealed to you? Um, so Paul wrote this letter and said, In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, and it is, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. To you. It's funny to me, I read the Old Testament, especially the Israelites, the people following Moses, what a bunch of goofballs they were, right? They had been in Egypt, they saw all the plagues, and then God had delivered them out of that, and, and they plundered Egypt on the way. I mean, it's a big party where they're leaving with everybody's stuff, and then they come up to the, to the Red Sea, and oh no, here comes Pharaoh's army, and they're sure to be crushed. Oh no, the water parts, they walk through on dry land. Now they're on the other side of the water, unharassed, free to celebrate God. And what do they immediately do? Forget. They turn back. And so then they get hungry and God gives them manna. And then they get thirsty and God produces water. And then they think they're lost, so God gives them a cloud and uh, fire and cloud to follow. And then they come to the holy mountain. And it's a terrible thing. You know, God's glory is up on there. And Moses comes down. He's all white-haired and red-eyed and just really freaky looking. 
And they forget all that and they wander away and they come to the promised land and we can't go in and there's giants and the Old Testament reads like that, right? One loser misstep after loser misstep. Do you know why you're different than that? You are different than that and do you know why? Because the mystery was not revealed to them like it has been revealed to you. great thing it is that this mystery has been revealed to us by the spirit by the spirit the mystery of god has been revealed to you you can have an intimate relationship with god the father god the son and the holy spirit because this stuff has been revealed to you you know god or you can know god that is available they worshipped a God in a temple that was a scary thing. Don't go in there, you'll die. We are the temple. God lives in us. Things are different now than they were then. Praise God. So this mystery has been revealed to us. What do you like to do when you know a secret? My wife tells me I can't keep secrets <laughs> that I have to share. Because I get so excited when I know something good, I want other people to know it. Don't you? Don't you want other people to know what you know? Not that, not that you know it and look, oh, look at me, look what I know. But you can say, hey, look, you're hungry? Lindy's, 1.30, they set all the chicken out that they don't sell. You can go to Lindy's at 1.30 in the afternoon and get chicken. It's good. If you were hungry and you knew somebody else that was hungry, you'd tell them to go to Lindy's at 1.30, right? Lindy's doesn't set chicken out at 1.30. Okay, don't, don't that. That's not true. It's not true. I'm just saying if they did and you knew that, you'd tell somebody. Okay, you know where to get life. You know the source of life. You know how, why you have hope and how you can get it. And you can't sit on that kind of information. You have to share that information. You can't keep it bottled up. It will not stay inside. It's a natural, normal thing for you to share and to reveal that mystery. And not only is it natural, normal, it is God's plan that you do that. Uh, where'd that verse go? Don't make me get my glasses out. Uh... Well, Paul was preaching it to the Gentiles, and his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Emmy quoted a verse, shared a verse this morning, that we would pray for workers, that God would send laborers into the field. You know why we need to send laborers in the field? Because that is God's plan for how his mystery is revealed today. It is through us. How can they believe in what they haven't heard? And how can they hear unless we tell them? I know. I used to pray like this too. Oh God, show yourself to that person that they might know you. Now, there's a degree of truth in that. But you know what Jesus says we should do? Oh God, send somebody to that person to tell them about you. You see the difference? God has chosen to do his work through the church, which is us. Not just us, but us. We are part of that. He has chosen to use you 
to share the good news of the kingdom now. Because you know it. Uh, and so it's a great thing that the mystery has been revealed to you. But you're sitting there thinking, I don't know no mystery. Nothing's been revealed to me. <clears throat> you know what it means to be deceived? It means to be tricked, right? It means that you think one thing is some other way. You know, that's what our enemy is called, the deceiver. Because he deceives you into thinking that nothing's been revealed to you. Into thinking that you are not all those things we read about from chapters 1 and 2. That you're holy and chosen in God's handiwork. He's the deceiver. He tells you that's not true. Now, will you walk by faith? Or will you walk by what that liar says about God? You have had things revealed to you that you don't even know have been revealed yet. But they have been. And if you step into them and live in them, it's an incredible thing. We always want wisdom and guidance, right? We don't know what to do, so we're always asking each other, I don't know what I should do. And what's James say to do? If any man lacks wisdom, what's he supposed to do? Ask. Ask. And what happens after you ask God for wisdom? It's right there in the next verse. What happens? He gives it. He gives you wisdom. If you don't know what to do, and you ask God for wisdom, God gives you wisdom. Now, does it come on an envelope with the you know bright yellow thing that says, "Here's the wisdom you asked for from God"? No. Doesn't come in a special delivery envelope. Does He give it to you? If you ask for wisdom, he gives wisdom. What's the next step? Act on faith on the wisdom you have received. But I don't feel any different. He did not say you would feel different. He said you would have wisdom. So now walk by faith. Okay, God, I'll do it. I'm moving, I'm going. But I don't know. Of course you don't know. That's the whole thing about faith, right? If you knew, it wouldn't be faith. What faith means is that you're not sure, but you're following God. So move out and follow Him based on the wisdom He's given you. So, the Spirit reveals mysteries to us. I did not discover it. I did not learn it. The Holy Spirit revealed it to me. And He did this for a reason, to accomplish His eternal purposes through us, the church, as we reveal, play our role in the revelation. Again, I don't teach you. I stand up here and say things, and the Holy Spirit reveals. One of the most fun things for me is to ask people after church what the sermon was about. And if there's 50 people here, I'll get 50 answers. Isn't that amazing? It's because the Holy Spirit is at work in you revealing what He wants to reveal. We're not all at the same place. That's the problem with corporate training at, like at, at school. When we're teaching a whole uh, group of third graders how to do math. Some students already know it, and some of them don't even know what it means at all. They're totally lost, and we're all over the place. And it's really hard to be a teacher trying to teach principles and, and knowledge to people who are in a whole bunch of different places. That's why I'm so much better at this than I would be at teaching math. Because I have a helper, the Holy Spirit, that reveals what he wants you to know, regardless of what I say. So if I say it wrong, or I imply the wrong thing, the Holy Spirit fixes that up and reveals the right things to you. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, so the Holy Spirit reveals mysteries to us. Secondly, in this passage, we see that 
Jesus' love is the power. Wisdom and revelation. The Holy Spirit teaches us things, reveals things to us. In verse uh, 16, Paul says that we need strength. And in verse 18, Paul says that we need power. How do I know that? Because he's praying that we would have strength and that we would have power. And that strength comes with the power of his spirit in our inmost being. In verse 16. And through all of that, Christ will dwell in our hearts. In verse 17. So that we are rooted and established Okay, so we know these things. The Holy Spirit reveals these truths in our hearts. And then that changes everything about us. Because Jesus is dwelling in us. Now, what do we know about strength and power? I have heard so many Christians say something like this. Oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't. I couldn't do that. So, this, this young little college girl stands up this morning and talks to you for about 25 minutes, communicating the truths of God, and you say, Oh, I could never do that. Really? You couldn't do that? You could never go to the beach on, in Alabama and go tell somebody I found Jesus. Really? You couldn't do that. Are you kidding me? You couldn't do that? What about Jesus dwelling in your inmost being? What about that? You know we have a thief, and I keep bringing him up only because I see the results of what the thief has done. You know when you come home and your house is ransacked and all your good stuff is missing? You know the thief has been there. So when, when you talk to another Christian and you say, well, wait a minute, where's the good stuff? It's because the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's very good at it. You're just going to let him take your stuff? Paul says it like this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. All things. All things except evangelizing on a beach. Or all things except except standing up in front of my brothers and sisters in Christ who deeply love me and sharing in them something that I've experienced with the kingdom. I can never do that. Right? So Paul says we need strength. And with that strength comes power. And Jesus will dwell in our hearts. And what happens when we have this strength and power with Jesus dwelling in our hearts? What is the goal? What are we trying to accomplish with this? So that we can be bright, shining lights. Right? No. What's the goal of it? We can grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Jesus is. We need power and strength so that we can grasp the love of Jesus. I know that's goofy, isn't it? Why? What, what difference is it going to make to know the love of Jesus? How's that going to change anything? That we all feel good about each other? That won't do anything. We need strength and power so we can change the world. And you know how you're going to change the world? By knowing the love of Jesus. That's what changes everything. 
Jesus. Knowing how high and wide and long and deep the love of Jesus. Because his love surpasses knowledge. Our enemy, the liar, says that knowledge is the key to all things. And you just need to know more. If you knew more, you would be more like Christ. That's a lie. What you need love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge. You know you don't need to memorize scripture, although you should memorize scripture. You'd be very, you'd be, it's a really good thing for you to do that. That's not what you need. If you, if you had the right plan and path that I'm going to say this and then I'm going to follow it up with this and then they'll say this and I'll answer this and then we'll come over here and talk about this and when it's all said and done, they'll be a follower of Jesus. Well, although that might be an effective tool, that's not what you're lacking. You also aren't lacking personal skills or communication skills. You're not lacking knowledge of, you're not, it's not because you have lack of knowledge of the Bible. The thing that keeps you from doing what God has called you to do is your lack of knowing and understanding the love of Christ. That is the motivator, the power, and the strength to make you be the effective laborer in the kingdom that he wants you to be. It is knowing the love of Christ. Because that love changes everything. You know, I sometimes, I probably shouldn't say this, but there's some people that I just don't like. You ever have that? Just don't let that get out, right? Because we're supposed to love everybody. And, and, you know, they just irritate me. And I don't even want to really be around them. And you know the issue? I don't love them. Right? We can say that, well, they're just offensive and they're rude and they're... And, and they may be. Does that dismiss my... The requirement that I love them? Because they're jerks? No. So you know what I pray for? Jesus... Give me your heart for them. My heart for them is not good. Give me your heart for them. Because you know what? Jesus loves them fully and completely. Jesus loves them so much that no matter how deep and awful their sin is, Jesus said, I'll take that on. I'll pay the price for their sin. So even this guy that's out killing followers of Jesus that's destroying families and blowing up the kingdom, that man, Jesus loved him enough to stop him on the road to Damascus and say, what are you doing? That's how much Jesus loves. And when you know that love, you want to know how to have compassion for others? Realize how much Jesus loves you. When we know this love that surpasses knowledge, then, in verse 19, we will be filled to the measure of all fullness. Filled to the measure of all fullness. Now, I don't know how much flour you can get in a cup of flour, but you know how you can kind of have almost a cup or a heaping cup? This filled to the measure of all fullness means... There's no more room in the cup of flour for any more flour. It's full. It's 
it's pushed down and packed, all the corners are full, there's no dead space, and more flour is added, and it's filled again, and then more stuff is put on there. It is filled to the fullness. It's as much as you can get. And that's what you will have when you know the love of Christ. And because of this great love, because the Spirit has revealed the mysteries of the kingdom to us, because we have such uh, strength and power, we now have access with freedom and confidence. I bring the Israelites up to say, how did they uh, come to God? With fear and trembling. Right? They'd tie a rope on the chief priest's foot just in case he did the wrong thing. They could drag his body out. Otherwise, they'd have to leave him in there because whoever went to get him would die too. They could not approach God. You the other hand, can approach with freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence to go talk to God. This is really big stuff. Strength and power so that we can know God's love that tells us how important that love is. And finally, uh, so we have the mystery of Christ. Uh, revealed to us through the Spirit. And then we grasp the boundless love of Jesus. And then we have great strength and power. And what's next? So we know all this stuff. We now know the love of Jesus that surpasses that knowledge. And then we have strength and power. And what's next? Well, God is able to do immeasurably more. Verse 20. God is able to do immeasurably more more than you can ask, more than you can imagine. God will use that power and strength and love that are in us to do incredible things to His glory. Verse 21. But what's God going to do? Well, He's going to do more than you can ask or more than you can imagine. Well, what's that going to be? More than you can ask and more than you can imagine. Are you going to know what that looks like before you get there? Before it comes? No, because it's not even something you can imagine that he's doing. And you know this is not a promise for the future. It's a promise for now. He's doing that now. More than you can imagine. More than you even know. Yes. There will be sufferings, like it says in verse 13. But don't let that discourage you. See, we think in our own human reasoning that sufferings are diminishing things and making it less and therefore less glory to God. So we are opposed to sufferings because it is a reduction. Things are not happening the way they should. And we are wrong. Sufferings are the time when the glory is the greatest because the faith is the most and the love overflows the deepest. That's when the growth comes. What will God do? More than you can imagine. Jesus said that, that when... He left, he would send the comfort of the Holy Spirit to come, and that we would do greater things than he did. 
You know the really great things Jesus did. He walked on water. He fed thousands of people with a few sardines. It's an incredible thing. He, he made blind people see and lame people walk. Deaf people could hear. People who were unclean became clean. Dead people came back to life. Jesus did great things. And we're doing greater things. Do you know that? Do you know that, that? That just because Jesus raised some little girl from the dead did not make her a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ? Do you know that? And do you know that little girl, I forget her name, somebody's daughter, do you know that she's dead? Or at least her body is? Do you know that? Jesus did not make her a new creation. He raised her body from the dead. If she is a new creation, it is because of one of the followers of Jesus Christ spoke to her and told her about the kingdom of heaven, and the Holy Spirit revealed that to her, and if she had faith and accepted that, then she became eternally alive through a follower of Jesus. And let me tell you, if that happened, that girl's alive today. Now, which is greater? Raising the body that died again? Or bringing eternal life for a soul? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not in any way trying to diminish what Jesus did. I'm trying to reveal what Jesus is doing through us. Eternal consequences. Because the Spirit has revealed to us the mystery and has given us that overwhelming desire to share that because of Jesus' love, which we have not been able to find the boundaries and corners of yet. And it is because of that great love that we have to share with those around us. The love of Christ compels us to. We can't help it. The only way we can help it and not do it is if our enemy has come in and stolen something from you. So if you're sitting there this morning saying, well, I don't feel compelled to tell people about Jesus. Let me tell you what you're actually saying. The enemy has stolen the truth about Jesus Christ from me. And I'm going to ask, are you going to sit there and take that? Are you going to let your enemy steal the glory of heaven from you? By saying it's not so. Don't give in that ground. Take that back. Stand on faith. No, I believe what Jesus said. I believe in what Jesus has done. I am a new creation. The Holy Spirit has revealed the mysteries of the kingdom to me. And if he's not, talk to some other people here and let them teach you so that the Holy Spirit can reveal those mysteries to you. Because they are a fabulous thing that you want to know. Gospel means good news. If what's in your head and your heart doesn't feel like good news, it's not the gospel. And when you know the good news, you can't sit on it and keep it a secret. Not possible. Not an option. Do you know the good news? Has the Holy Spirit revealed it to you? Has your enemy stolen it from you? Get that back. Get it back. It's available. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal these things to you with wisdom and revelation, showing you the things of the kingdom so that you can know the love of God. 
the love of Christ, which is the most powerful force ever. The love of Christ. Our Father, we come before you now. First, we thank you for this great work that you have done through Jesus and through the one that Jesus sent, the Holy Spirit. We thank you for revealing the mysteries of the kingdom to us. We thank you, Jesus, for living in us and making us alive, for making us holy, giving us purpose and reason. We thank you that we are forgiven and redeemed. For some of us, we have lost that spark and lost that fire. Our enemy has stolen it from us. And today, we take that ground back by the power of Jesus and by his blood. We drive our enemy away from us. We break the bonds and the agreements we've made with the lie. We stand on the truth of your word, Father. I believe your word. I believe I am who you say I am. I believe that the love of Christ is the one motivating force and factor that I need to have great strength and power. So I stand there in the love of Christ, overwhelmed by that love. And as a result, it changes my heart towards everyone I come in contact with. That I would love them too, as you love me, Jesus. So I come before the throne with freedom and confidence. I'm not timid, I'm not afraid. I know that I am loved deeply. That I am your handiwork, God. So I come before your throne asking again to be filled anew with the Holy Spirit. That the eyes of my heart would be enlightened. I would have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to love like your heart loves Jesus. So now as we enter into this time of worship, Jesus, we want to keep our eyes fixed on you. We want your love to overflow from our hearts as we worship you in spirit and truth. Father, we come before your throne and lift you high. By the power of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit joins with our spirit and we worship you deeply. So I just ask that you would reveal yourself to us during this time, that you would lead us into worship as we love you. Lead us now, Jesus. <laughs> 